From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. My parents would ask me what I did, and it was really hard to describe Mm -hmm. what a practice manager was. And they came up with a phrase that I'm in the business of care so physicians can be in the practice of medicine. And that was kind of helped define then the role that I played with managing all of the business aspects of the practice. And that freed the physicians up then to do what they were trained to do. That's Deb Wiggs, MGMA Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, talking about her role as a medical practice leader. We'll hear more from Deb in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the MGMA Emerald Card, the premier card built specifically for medical practice owners. With 1.5% cash back, paid MGMA dues bonus, no impact on personal credit and vendor rebates, it's tailor-made to medical practices. So what are you waiting for? Go to about.mgma.cards to get started today. You can review the cardholder agreement at about.mgma.cards terms. Our guest today is Deb Wiggs. Deb has dedicated her career to improving medical practices and the care patients receive. Deb is the 2022 MGMA Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Deb is a former board chair of MGMA and was once the interim CEO of the organization. But her lasting impact on the industry may be her steadfast commitment to mentoring other healthcare leaders. Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you have a long relationship with MGMA, and as part of all the things you've done, you have been the recipient of this year's MGMA Lifetime Achievement Award. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a was a pretty big honor and a pretty big surprise. I wasn't just, expecting it. It caught you out of the blue, right? You weren't expecting totally. this? Yep. Nope. I was completely taken by surprise. So it's uh, been really a, a fun little experience and very grateful. Um, a lot of it is about what I value about MGMA. So it's pretty great. That's awesome. So I'm going to read just a little bit of the description for our listeners so they get an idea. This This award has been designed to recognize and celebrate the success of an individual who has inspired and empowered other leaders through significant contributions to the healthcare industry. And it has a particular emphasis on that advancement of medical group administration, delivery, and education. That is a lofty, long description, but it suits you well, and this is a well-deserved honor. Um, I just want you to brag on yourself for a minute. Where do you see your biggest contributions to that advancement of medical group administration, delivery, and education? Well, as I said, I think in my uh, acceptance speech, I consider myself, my word that I've always used to describe what I what drives me to do what I do is to be a bridge. And that's been my word for most of my career is how do I bridge things? I love to make p- connections between people or ideas or concepts 
And then I basically just stand back and watch the magic happen. So I think that the, the thing I like to think has been a contribution is that ability to bring groups of people together to look at what the circumstance or situation is and then come up with solutions and the ability then to help make those solutions reality. Okay. So I want to go down memory lane again <laughs> with you. You've been on the podcast several times. I don't know that I've gone back in time here with you. So when did you get your start in healthcare? Well, I you jokingly say back when the earth was cooling. Um, <laughs> it was uh, actually 1970. I started out as a sophomore in high school with uh, parents who had a daughter who was pretty um Get, would get bored easily. And so my dad approached the administrator of the small local hospital if he had a job because I was interested in medicine in some fashion. So I actually started as a sophomore in high school as a met, as nurse's aide at the hospital back when um, nurse's aides could pretty much do anything that a nurse or doctor told them to do. So I got a lot of hands-on experience doing a lot of really interesting things as a, a fairly young person but it did uh, pique my interest and desire to continue to work in the medical field moving forward. So it's been a while. I started, so basically I always say, I started out on the clinical side and I did do that. Um, I was one of the first uh, medical assistants as a profession in the state of Washington. Um, I started that in 1977 with a family practice doc and we started a small practice together. Um, I was his medical assistant for three years and then he and his family decided to move to another community in Washington state and I moved with them. And we started a practice um, in Linden, Washington. And that's actually where I started to get into touching the world of MGMA. Um, I was a medical assistant there for a few years and then I moved into being the practice manager. They added a couple of doctors to the practice and the doctors realized that they needed someone to kind of keep track of things. And they asked me if I would do that. And I realized at the time that I needed to do two things then if I was gonna take on an administrative role. One was to find out where to uh, meet other people doing the same thing because as most folks listening today know that being a practice administrator can frequently be a very lonely job. You're really the only person in that role outside of being in large health systems. But back then pri pri private practice was pretty much the norm and so I started looking for organizations that could help me understand the role. And I found Washington State MGMA and I became a member there in 1983, I think it was. And I also went back and got my degree in healthcare administration at the same time. So that's kind of where the um, beginnings of my right. career in, in practice administration began. At what point you said, I mean, I'm just startled when I was in 10th grade. I'm, I, I don't know what the heck I was thinking about. I wasn't working in a hospital or anything. You were a early starter there. Um, I think I was trying to get my driver's license <laughs> <laughs> and aspiring to maybe go out on a date at some point, but not uh, work in a hospital. So when you started on that clinical side, when did you begin to make that shift where you because I know one of your great loves in healthcare is, is leadership development. So when, when did you start kind of evolving into developing those leadership skills? Um, actually, it was attending MGMA, state MGMA conferences initially. Um, I would sit and listen to folks who had been in the role for many years themselves. A lot of them are sort of old um, icons of MGMA. I got to sit at there's a 
book that used to be called The Red Book by Stan Hager, who ran the Everett Clinic. And I sat with folks from the Virginia Mason and some of these large medical practices in Washington State and started to realize that there was more to the job than just making sure that the accounts receivable were taken care of. And we grew, the practice was growing in Linden and adding more staff members and starting to figure out that I had to keep track of people and what they were doing. And so it was a, a kind of a combination of sitting in those conferences and starting to appreciate just, you know, what more there, that it was much more to the role of practice manager at that time. Um, and what was I going to do about that for myself? Um, I sort of had decided that I moved out of the clinical sphere and found that I really enjoyed the idea of helping people. Um, it's a, one of the questions you're, you're asking about is, you know, what were, what's my, was my thinking around that was I, my parents would ask me what I did and it was really hard to describe mm -hmm. what a practice manager was. And they came up with a phrase that I'm in the business of care. So physicians can be in the practice of medicine. And that was kind of helped define then the role that I played was managing all of the business aspects of the practice. And that freed the physicians up then to do what they were trained to do. And that's been my, sort of my mantra, my entire career, is how do I enhance the business side of the practice so the physicians aren't distracted by it and able to actually do the care that they are trained to do. And it's very expensive training. And so why would they spend time on things that are outside their scope of knowledge frequently? And so how could I do that the best of my ability? You've got a unique perspective. You've, like you said, you got your start in the 70s. Now we're in 2022. So you've seen healthcare go through different shifts and evolutions and people for as far back as I can remember, at least as, as long as it's been on my radar, people trying to solve the issues and problems of just healthcare in that big picture view when it really boils down to how do you, how do you care for patients and how do you remain profitable as a practice. This may be a, 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 an elusive question. I don't know. Maybe you've got a good answer for it. But how has healthcare in that time span, how has it changed and how has it remained the same? Well, actually, if you go back into the MGMA archives, there's a very funny, um, I don't know if it was a speech or a paper written by someone back at the, almost the beginning of MGMA. And we, I think it was a board we read it at one point about how many things were had changed, but nothing had changed. And um, I think that's somewhat probably if you're being really ethereal about it, the human condition is, is everything changes and yet everything stays the same. I think that um, probably the thing I, when I talked about it in my leadership presentations, one of the challenges we face today is that we live in a complex world um, and there's a lot of what we do is very complex systems and processes. And that doesn't, the magnitude of that hasn't changed really that much contextually, but we tend to like to make things complicated. And I think that's one of the things that I really worked at in my own responsibilities was how do I make things not complicated? And I think it's the, probably the biggest challenge that we face today is we continue to overlay systems, processes, things that don't add value to the process um, somewhat out of uh, a concern for missing something. There's a lot of moving parts 
but there's a lot of things we could stop doing as well. And um, I've talked about that in some of my presentations I've done of, of hitting the stop it button. But at the end of the day, I think that um, we need to really realize that it isn't that complicated, even in a com complex systems. So challenging people to think about the processes they're doing, is it really material? Is it adding value to what we're doing? I think sometimes we do a lot of, um, quite frankly, CYA behaviors that stop processes. And so it's challenging people to frankly at times be brave and be willing to step out and take action in the midst of a situation or circumstances that, you know, may not be completely straightforward. But I'll tell you at the end of the day, there's not that much that can go wrong if you're thinking. And that's probably the biggest challenge is people sometimes stop thinking. They want to expect a kind of, I used jokingly say, a drop down menu to answer all the questions. And they really aren't there. You've got to be able to take advantage of experience and, and trying things and being willing to fail forward. I think I use a lot of catchphrases, I know, but in my mind, they frame why it is, what's my motivation for doing something. And so I think that there's times when um, in our roles and responsibilities in our leadership is the willingness to, to step out. And if you consider the fact that it's not illegal, causes danger, or creates harm, give it a try. And sometimes you'll be surprised with the results. I love that philosophy. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you one more question just from that bigger picture view. So now there, it's difficult to have a conversation about healthcare to not get on the side of the staffing issues we're having mm -hmm. right now yes. and related to that. Um, burnout and stress management. Mm -hmm. Was that the case in the 70s when you were getting your start? Or is it is it the demographic shift with the aging population? What has caused the, the issues that we're having related to that right now? Well, if you honestly, we didn't have quite the same kind of pressures back in the 70s and 80s. It was more about the pressures of new technologies and adding additive layers of um, resources and keeping track of different procedures and new medications. And when I started out in um, medicine, you know, there were five major antibiotics and um, one way to treat hypertension, which was hydrochlorothiazide and Lasix, and two ways to look inside the body without a knife, fluoroscopy and x-ray. So when you think about what we're looking at today, just in, con in context of technology, we look inside the body more without a knife than we do with one now. Um, who knows the number of antibiotics that are out there. You know, we're what fifth tier or something like that now. And you just have, and of course the whole managing hypertension, cardiology, all of those kinds of things is just, you know, so much more sophisticated. The other thing is, is the year that I was chair of MGMA 2015 was the 50-50 year that they talked about. And we're now living in the consequences of that. And that was the year that over 50% of the boomers were turning 65 and 50% of all physicians in the United States were technically eligible for retirement. And we hadn't really addressed the whole, we're just beginning to address actually the whole mid-level provider um, allied professional world and didn't really understand how that was going to impact or not impact the ability to take care of folks. So I think we're up against that crunch, you know, and then we have the post boomer, you know, generationally is a smaller group. Um, there's a lot of other professions that are very interesting and lucrative to be in. And I think there's a lot more competition that didn't used to exist. 
for folks to do the work. So I think it's the perfect storm in that respect. And then you throw obviously the consequences of two and three years of a pandemic. And um, that's where we are today. I do hope, and my, my hope is that it will challenge us all to think about the work that we're doing and is it really the work that needs to get done? I, my suspicion, and it's, I guess, born out of just being a seasoned professional in the industry was that you know a lot of what people were doing that they thought was the work really isn't the work. But we gotta get honest about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then figuring out how to make technology truly be a tool that we can use and a resource for us and not a additive um, barrier to actual care. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen that both, I lived it on both sides of that coin and it hasn't changed anything. I was yesterday in a physician's office for myself and he's been, you know, having to have him watch him spend more time clicking through screens on a computer as opposed to engaging with me to deal with what the issue was, was, was painful to watch. And I felt sorry for him. I really did. Um, and I think that's something that's the case in many, many practices today. Thank you for those insights on that. Um, I want to talk about a couple of other things that are near and dear to you that have really shaped your career. I've looked over your nomination and there were so many interesting Mm -hmm. aspects of why you were being nominated. One of those was having a vision to not just look at the practice itself, but to expand that view to the community. Um, Mm -hmm. You were steeped in uh, that state of Washington uh, community, the Washington MGMA and some of these bigger communities. Explain to us what, why that matters. I know it's been important to you, and I just want to understand mm-hmm. having that community uh, viewpoint of health and healthcare, why that matters as well. Well, you know, I have two, um, actually they're Bible verses that I've lived by my entire career. The first one is um, from Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one for they have a greater return for their labor for one should fall and others there to lift them up. And the second is iron sharpens iron. And that's from Proverbs, um, I think it's 27. Anyway, the point of those two concepts are why I think community is so important. I love and still are loved and still love being involved with MGMA. I learn. And so being in community, you can learn from one another. Um, again, in most communities, and I don't know that that's completely true today. I know in large metropolitan areas, it's probably less likely, but the premise of competition. One of the things I used to say to physicians is you have one of the few professions where you have ultimate job security. We're all born decaying, okay? So physicians, you've got a job. So quit worrying about who's doing what and just stay and be the best you can be and, and put and the work will be in front of you. So. It's the idea of being able to collaborate with folks, um, learn from one another, and and frankly, again, back to the whole thing of you're not alone. You, you have a sense of being connected so that some of the things that can be look pretty scary, if you could call somebody up and they can say, oh, I've done that, or I ran into that problem, or you could have a, a solution fairly quickly in, in being able to connect with folks. I'm not sure how much that happens today. I'd like to think it does. I'm hoping that everyone who was at the MGMA meeting in Boston came away with a new colleague or friend that they could call up about a circumstance or situation. I know for myself, I was proud to say that I realized the year I was chair 
that I truly had an MGMA friend in every state in the union. Wow. And, um, and Vermont was my last one. I got it, (laughs) But, (laughs) but it was the idea that there's truly someone out there living my life, you know, my professional life similarly to me. And what could we learn from one another? Okay. And I, not sure folks always appreciate that, but I, I put aside the competition conversation. I wasn't competing. I was in a small family practice in Linden for years. That's now Family Care Network with it's a private practice with 80 physicians that, you know, we, we brought together for this kind of from the same premise is they realized they couldn't be uh, singularly in the state of Washington with the insurance po- uh, profile they needed to be more, have more folks in the same pool. And so, you know, starting that, well, they've grown and learned from one another and the practice is, is thriving today, as far as I know. Um, last time I looked, I was there about two months ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they've, they've had to make some changes and things to manage to the, you know, the new the environment as it changes. But, you know, it's, a, it's, a po- it's possible. It's possible to do those kinds of things and not have a loser necessarily. Well, Deb, to close out here, I wanna ask you a couple of things about what you've got going on. So um, you've had a distinguished career. You've been a practice leader. You've been a leader Mm -hmm. within the MGMA community. You've been the board chair of MGMA. You were the interim CEO of MGMA. Um, What's going on in this phase of your career? What do you have going on right now? Well, actually um, I am technically retired. Um, I retired from my company that I was an owner with uh, Michelle Weir and Irv Barnett um, about a year ago now. I guess it was October of last year. Um, however, I like to say I retired not from something, but I retired to something. I just um, part of my life plan had been to be in a position um, to be able to go out and do service work in um, other parts of the world. I love to travel. Um, and so I literally just came back from three weeks in Africa. I was in Tanzania and Kenya, and I was um, able to help uh, provide medical care, actually did some actual clinical work um, under the auspices of, of uh, different uh, um, medical personnel. Um, I got to work with uh, single moms who needed some encouragement about self-esteem and, and managing shame and some things like that. Got to help build homes for widows who had no home. One woman had not had a roof over her head for 10 years. And I got to meet a group of people in uh, Western Kenya that had never seen a white person before. So, um, and they have no written language. And so we helped establish a medical environment, a church and a school there. So um, it was a lot of heavy lifting, long days and, and a lot of heat, but I also got to see giraffes strolling down the side of the road beside me and um, zebras all over the place and a lot of other interesting things as well. So I continue to re- work with other organizations, um, nonprofits around the three passions that I have, which are organizational dynamics, leadership, mentoring, and strategic planning. So I'm planning to do that for the next several years on a as needed basis um and uh, really enjoying doing that that is 
a remarkable story. You never fail to both surprise and inspire. And I say surprise, and you're you're actually calling in from Surprise, Arizona, but yeah, you, yes. you are just a, a revelation. And I'm so glad that you're part of MGMA and part of healthcare and part of part of this world to be going around the globe and helping others. That that is just remarkable. So thank you so thank much. You. And I want to congratulate you again on receiving this honor as the MGMA Lifetime Achievement recipient. Thank you so much for all that you're doing for people and for healthcare out there. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been fun to, to spend a little bit of time with you today. And to everyone who gets a chance to listen to this podcast, I just want to let you know that I encourage you. You are making a difference and it's worth it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Deb Wiggs, the recipient of the 2022 MGMA Lifetime Achievement Award. We also want to thank MGMA Emerald Card for sponsoring this week's show. With 1.5% cash back, paid MGMA dues bonus, no impact on personal credit, and vendor rebates, it's tailor-made to medical practices. So what are you waiting for? Go to about.mgma.cards to get started today. And if you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation, you can email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.